Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. I'm your host Emma and each week I'm out and about chatting to Londoners and those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. In this episode I catch up with Helena Halmer. Helena is a self-published author and has many books to her name including the Nordic Heart series. She is the Nordic ambassador for the Alliance of Independent Authors and we talk about displacement, being Finnish, living between two worlds and how language gets old. We talk about Finland and its closeness to Russia and on the other side Sweden. We talk about life in Finland, its threats as well as its beauty, the food as well as the weather. Helena has spent most of her life in the UK since marrying her husband. She says, I feel foreign when I'm here, i.e. the UK, and I feel foreign when I'm in Finland. The best place is in the plane. These are Helena's thoughts on London, the world and life. Well, hello, this is the Travelling Through podcast, and I'm here today with Helena Harmer. Helena Harmer. Hello. <laughs> I knew I'd get it wrong. <laughs> no, don't worry, don't worry. So I've got to say it as I'm angry. Helena. Yes, Helena, as if Helena. you were slightly, slightly annoyed or something. <laughs> so Helena, we are in Crouch End, which we is are. where I used to live many years ago, um, and you've made this your home for the last 10 years. Yes, yes. We, um, we moved to London from the country about... 11 years ago and we first lived in Hampstead and then we then we moved to Crouch End which is a much sort of how shall I say friendlier place I think. (laughs) (laughs) So where in the countryside were you living? In Wiltshire. Okay. Um, Deepest darkest we had a quite a quite a big plot of land and uh, in the middle of nowhere and uh, we moved to London. I've always wanted to live in London so it was sort of my dream, and the children left home, so I decided that uh, I would... Sorry, I've lost my, my popper to my <laughs> microphone. <laughs> yeah, so you, you decided to... Yeah, so I decided to stand here for a moment. Yes. We decided to uh, move to London when the children left home, and uh, I've, I've loved every minute of it. I think as a creative, you need to be near people, you yes. need to be in creative creative areas and I came over here and I started working in a bookshop which was a dream job but didn't pay very well unfortunately. (laughs) No they don't. (laughs) And also the problem with the bookshop was that um, I tended to put all my creativity into into selling books or recommending books and talking about books and I'd come home and I had nothing left to write about so um, I I sort of gave that up and, and started writing more. But the reason we're here at the bus stop, the bus has just gone up there, but yeah, um, the this was when I published my first book, The English Heart, 10 years ago, in fact. Oh, congratulations. This A decade ago. Yes. Wow. I, I had crazy ideas about how to market it. And one of those ideas was to leaflet around Crouch End. Crouch End is known for a quite a creative place. Yes. It, ha- it you know, repeatedly has 75% of people living in Crouch End are employed by the creative industries. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes, apparently. I don't know whether it's true <laughs> or not, but it does feel very creative. So yes. I thought, well, they, these creative people probably would like to read a book about, which is based on my, on my life. And I wrote a little, little blurb on one side and a picture of the book, and then I had a few books with me. And I, there was a really long queue that came all the way from here to the corner. And um, I just leafleted all of them. And then... <laughs> the whole bus queue. The whole bus queue. <laughs> and then, because it was actually... This book is based on how I met my English husband and why I'm here. Yes. 
Then they started reading the blurb and looked back at me and I thought, oh my goodness, I never thought about the fact that they would actually read it then. I thought they'd just keep it hold of it and then go on a bus and then read it when I wasn't anywhere near. And they all started looking at me. And I thought, oh my, I was just, yeah. So I thought that was it. That was my leafletting days over. You were so embarrassed you wouldn't do it again. Yeah, I was so embarrassed. But I wonder whether because of that you actually sold some of your books. You don't know. That's well, we don't know. Yeah. Yes, we don't know. But, you know, but it did do very well, that, that first book. Yes. But, yeah. Um, well, it takes guts to do things like that. And you have to do, when you're a creative, you've got to find different ways to market you do marketing is such a big part of it and I think if you if if you ignore it you ignore it as your peril unfortunately yes yes absolutely it's it's shall we keep walking then yes we'll go go this way we're going to go to the park I think so um, it's quite a busy place Crouchen so um, some some of uh, some people have called it Nappy Valley because as you can see quite a lot of children young children and mothers Um, but um, I, we were drawn to the to Crouch End because of the architecture as much as anything. Oh, wait, I was going to ask you yes, one Yes, because one. the clock tower is beautiful. Yes. And and this sort of, um, I don't even know what the, I'm not very good at architecture, so I don't even know what the style is, but it's a it's a brick brick uh, with, with sort of white white windows and things. And I, I just think that the, the street view is quite pretty. So yes. that's really what drew us to the neighbourhood. Yeah. yeah, it's quite open. I mean, I'm from it's, the, yes, from the south London now. So. And also, um, my first, in fact, my first cover designer had lived in Crouch End many years, and he said, uh, "Well, the problem with Crouch End is that you have everything here; you never leave." <laughs> and in fact, that's the. I never go into town. I think I go into centre of London less now than I did when we lived in Wiltshire. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I wow. just don't so, ever find any reason to go in. Yeah. So yeah. So I've become quite a Crouch Ender. <laughs> Um, well, that's great, isn't it? It's a neighbourhood in itself. I mean, London is made up of so many neighbourhoods, isn't it? It, it so is, yes. Some which offer a lot more than, than others. And Yes. Uh, you're, you're a very close-knit community here, then, as a we, result. We are, and I think it's also the fact that there's no tube. Mm-hmm. I think if you have a tube station, um, then it sort of becomes more of a... or less of a community. But here, there's, there are art festivals before COVID. Um, I know when I took part in, in a... In a um, festival which we have every year, yes. the Crouchen Festival. I did the literary, the literary part of it one year, and we had, in fact, we just gone past it. But there's a cafe where I had, a, I had a readings, and then okay. in the town hall, yes. which was just opposite the, uh, which is now under construction yes, because it's I been saw. turned into flats, which is oh, terrible. Is oh dear. Yes, I know. But they, they used, they used to. You could rent it out, or you could, in fact, it didn't cost anything mm-hmm. um, to have events there. And um, uh, I had a discussion about self-publishing versus traditional publishing. And we had a traditional author, a traditional agent. And then we had Orna Ross, who set up the Alliance of Independent Authors. Yes. And then we had a um, self-published author. And we discussed the merits of both, and yes. it was a very, very interesting discussion. It's a discussion that's going rolling on, on and on, and on, isn't and on. It? Yes. yes. And this was, I think, six years ago. So, yes. And of course, life has changed a lot since. But anyway, so there, you know, there's a lot of you do feel that there is this creativity in the, yeah, in the in the community, and uh, and and just just on that note about. Um, the differences or, and, and also the benefits, advantages of both being self-published mm. and being published by, by a publisher. Have you 
what are your views on that? Well, I mean, being self-published is hard work. You know, you do have to, you, you run a small business basically, and then you also have to provide all the services. So it's, you have your own business. So you have your team, you have your cover designer, you have your editors, you have your sometimes layout designers. Yes. Some, some people use marketing services. And so you have to, it has to be run as a business. Yes, yes. And yet you have to be the creative person at Century to provide the product. Yes, exactly. So you're everything. Yes, any yeah. hats to wear. Yes, and it's so if you are if you are if you're able to do that then then that's that that's probably the way to go because you do get a higher percentage of your own sales if you are self-published. Yes. You don't have any middlemen, you don't have an agent. You don't have a publisher who takes a cut, and the cut is usually quite a lot. I mean, quite a lot of authors only get seven percent of the of the value of the book. Yes. But as I said, if you if you are if you don't have the mindset, it's incredibly difficult to suddenly turn around and and sell the the uh, the book that you put your heart and soul in, into <laughs> yes. Yes. and look at it as a product rather than that thing that you put your heart and soul into. Of course, into. yes. And even at the other end, when you think about what you're going to write, you have to think, is this, are my readers going to love this or not? So you have to consider market forces, which is really quite, a, lots of people in the creative industries think that is a, 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 a strange thought and it's alien to them to think that way. But mm -hmm. of course, everybody has to do it because yes. everybody has to eat. <laughs> at the end yes. of the day, you have to eat and you have to live and you have to, you have, to have money coming in. So, you know, it's a complicated, but then I like complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Why be simple when you can be complicated? Exactly, exactly. And there's a control aspect, you know, you can, you, you have control over your own products. Exactly, exactly. And you've written a tremendous number of books, Eleanor, which I wasn't aware that you had actually written as many as you have, and in box sets. So you've got a, You've got, is it an island series? And yes. a Nordic heart series? Yes, yes. And, um, and then you've also got some non-fiction books as well. Yes. Um, so where did it all begin? Well, I always wanted to write. Um, I, even as a child at school, I, I, I wrote the diary. And then when I moved to the UK uh, in 1984, um, I started writing a diary in Finnish. Yes. And then I turned it around and very much like, I don't know if you know Doris Lessing's Golden Notebook. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, on the other side, I wrote in, in English because already at the time I felt very much like as if I had a, a split personality, which you do. I think if you move to another country, you do develop another personality in order to be able to cope in that country. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, the language and everything, you do, do become to a certain extent a different person. And then, of course, the English side just took over. So um, I haven't really looked back then. I'd love to write in Finnish, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just too difficult now. I think my, even my language has gone, got old. Interesting. I mean, I've so. not lived in Finland for 40 years, so yes. um, language develops. Okay. And it's very difficult to keep up with it if you don't live in the country. I do read papers and magazines. I read a daily newspaper and finish, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. So I, yeah, so I tend to just, just write in English and, um, and perhaps one day when I'm retired and I can take a year out and go and live in Finland, I, I, I do have a book in mind in Finnish, so do I you? might, yes, okay. I do. I do. <laughs> 
where, where were you born in Finland? I was born in Tampere, which is a central, su southern Finland, but it's sort of a, a central southern Finland. Yes. Um, yeah, so I was born there and we left there when I was seven to move to um, Sweden. Okay. My father had a job there. Um, yes. He worked for a company called LM Ericsson then, because now it's Ericsson mobile phones. Okay. And um, we lived there for four years. And in, in Stockholm? In Stockholm, yeah. yes. And uh, then um, moved back and, uh, in fact, I've written a book about that time called Coffee and Vodka. I was going to ask you that, <laughs> because that was quite interesting how you very much write it from the, from the viewpoint of a, of a young girl as yes, well. Yes, And being misplaced, maybe. Yes, or, or yes, displaced, yes. Displaced, yes. Yes, yes, um, indeed. And, and some of that is, is actually, some of that happened, but it's, it's really... What I wanted to write in that book was uh, the sense of displacement that you can have and all the members of the family have it, but they react differently to it. So yes. uh, father is, you know, becomes a very sort of controlling and, and turns, to, turns to alcohol is a very, very Finnish thing to do. Yes. <laughs> um, and in fact, um, violence and the mother and the, the older sister want to become Swedish and yes. sort of create this personality as I was talking about before mm -hmm. and the younger daughter sort of doesn't really know where she belongs because she doesn't really know how to react to everything yeah um, yes. so yeah so that's um, that really was my first book that I wrote in fact I wrote that when I took my main creative writing at Bath Spa um, and so that was sort of pouring out all of that hurt if you like or that experience that I'd had Yes. as a young child, which I didn't even realise was there. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, I suppose when you're a child and you're that, that young as well, and you're coming to another country and you don't understand the language, but as a child you, you absorb it and seem to learn more quickly. Or did you feel that you were learning the language or could learn Swedish very quickly or you did know, you struggle? I don't remember when I learned it. How interesting. <laughs> One day I was at the playground, didn't understand anything. The next day, I spoke Swedish, so I really, I don't know whether the trauma of it, I've been thinking about lately that perhaps it's a trauma of it that I just literally don't remember because it's too traumatic, I don't know. But, yes. it, you know, I, I just do not remember the day that I learned Swedish. Okay. Or the days, yes. months, weeks, must have been months, surely, you know, you can't learn language in a day, but that's how it felt to me. You know, one day I can speak Swedish, the next day I could. Wow. I know, it's strange, strange, isn't it? And do you think because of that, that you you were able to learn English quickly? Oh yes, yes, absolutely. At that time I was already studying English at school, but I didn't have Swedish. Um, so the, the, okay. we have compulsory Swedish at school in, in Finland, we still do, but that doesn't kick in until secondary school. So I was at uh, primary school, and, uh, and but we, we did learn English. Um, it's just in Finland. People know that they have to learn another language, so they, you know, if you can, and I think it's a new thing that you started quite early. Yes. And um, so I did speak a little bit of English, but only, you know, what I'd learned at school. But yes. yes. Uh, but absolutely, I think if you if you learn one language as a child, it makes such a difference to your adulthood and 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 your ability to absorb other languages. Yeah. I, I think it's yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it was a gift really. Okay. I was reading a bit more about Finland and Sweden, and I, I hadn't fully appreciated the, um, the, the dynamic, if, if that's the right word to use, between language and 
ownership, shall we say, of yes. parts of both Finland and Sweden and yes. Housie, how although you may be in a Finnish-owned island, for example, yes, uh, you're, it's Swedish-speaking yes. and vice versa. Yes, yes. And did you deliberately use that as the location for, for one's box settlements, because uh, there are land uh, no, I region. Do you know, I don't think I did. I mean, I, um, I think I... Um, the reason I actually started um, writing about the Orland Islands is because um, my mother lives there. Oh, okay. So my mother is married to an Orlending, or a person from Orland. Yeah. And uh, we used to go there when uh, my son, or our son, who's now 33, um, when he was a baby, we went there for the first time because that's when my mother started spending time there in the summers mm -hmm. before they were married. We, it's her second marriage, obviously. Yes. And uh, so we were there for 20 years, going every summer. So I became something called Summer Orlanding, which is summer Orland Island resident. And so I knew the place very well, okay. and it was very dear to my heart. And I wanted to set something there, but I couldn't. I wanted to actually put a um, like a Nordic noir book and um, but then I just couldn't do it there because I love the place so much okay so I wanted something that crossed the both both of these really so it became a sort of a almost like a note to the islands and okay. or the island there are a group of islands um, and so that's why um, the books are sort of both Nordic noir romance uh, because there is a bit of a dark element but at the same time it's really about the love lives of the people who are living there Okay. And also about the quirkiness of the islands, because it's a very strange place, as you say. First of all, they belong to Finland, but they speak Swedish. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, it's always been kind of a strategic place. Mm -hmm. During the Crimean War, it was, you know, it was, it was a place where both Russia and the English forces were trying to overtake the islands. Okay, I think my history is right. <laughs> um, and their embattlements there, and right. and also they are very independent people. That if you ask them, are you, who do you belong to, Finland or Sweden, or who would you like to belong? Would you like to belong to Sweden? Um, they say no. We are all ending up. We, we're not. You know, we are Orland people. We don't belong to anybody. Yeah. Yes. And so they're incredibly independent. Yet they are in incredibly dependent on both countries' people to come, because tourism is the biggest industry in the, okay. on the island. So. It's a very strange and conflicted situation that they're in, but mm. yeah, it, it's a beautiful place. It's incredibly beautiful. It's incredibly friendly. It's it's just well, it's heaven to me. So that's why I, I quite like uh, writing about it. And so it's also because it's so familiar. It's easy for you to write about. Well, yeah, easy, but, well, but it's familiar. Do you know, you say that, but quite often you don't see the things that other people see. So I quite often have to go in my mind and think, if I've never been to the Orland Islands, what would I notice first? Okay. Because it's incredibly difficult to write about something that you don't know anything about. But it's even more difficult to write about something that you know intimately because you, you don't see the things that you need to describe. Okay, yes. So you need to describe it from a completely foreign you know, completely not foreign, but you know, completely somebody person, person who's never been there. What what would you first see? You know, you see the sailing boats, you see the, you you see the um, the roads, you see the the neatness of the whole thing, and then you see the blue sky, and 
Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny. So it's not exactly easy. Writing yeah. is never easy. No, <laughs> no I know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, it took me 10 years just to write one book, for goodness sake. So well, I, the first one is always the is worst bad. <laughs> or the most difficult. <laughs> this, this series is um, the heart series. Is, yes, is the one Nordic series. heart. Nordic yes, heart that's, that's one, one series. And, yes. that's, and that's set somewhere else. Yes, that's, that's really set in the UK. Okay. It starts in Finland. So. Mm-hmm. The first book, The English Heart, which I was trying to sell to those people in the standing in the, in the, in the bus queue, um, that is based on my own life. But then the, in the rest of the series is really, we follow the couple, how their life turns okay. out. Um, I wasn't going to write a series when I first wrote that book, but then lots of, lots of readers wrote to me and say, what happens to her? What happens to her? And then I found a diary okay. from myself because the, they're sort of the main problem between these two people is the one that you know one is a, an English naval officer and the other one is a, is a young student from Finland who's quite a radical quite radical opinions about life mm-hmm. and uh, the last thing she would ever imagine doing is is getting married to a, a foreigner and be a naval officer in a NATO country very strange um, and so she does and then they move to the UK and it becomes very difficult for her to find her place in society because she's a naval wife, so she has to follow her husband everywhere. Yes. And they move up to Scotland and she finds it very lonely up there. And so I found a diary. We moved to Plymouth and I found a diary from my time and I, I recognised that I was actually depressed. I was probably clinically depressed because mm-hmm. I was alone. Feeling weeks isolated. And end, you know, yeah. very, very isolated. And so... I sort of based it around that book, mm. but then I invented other things, you know, yeah, yeah, affairs yeah. and things. <laughs> sex. <laughs> Not that we weren't having sex, but I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to sort of um, zazz it up a little bit. Yes, you do, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think you have to tell a story and you can't, you know, people have to be entertained by your story, even if you are trying to, um, you, you're, you, you're trying to give a message but yes. if you you can't just give a message because nobody will listen to you because it's a it's a boring thing just to be shouting that's wrong and that's why yeah. that's why do this do, do that so my way of doing it it's it's all about displacement again and and, and about discrimination i guess yes. and about loneliness and about the whole human condition if you have to change countries if you have to dis, you have to go to a completely different life how do you react those are the sort of themes that come over and over again in my book because the same thing happens in the in the Love on the Island series in that people move in and or move back and you know they, they, there's constantly sort of this description of what life is like in, a, in, in another country yeah yeah yes and yes. what it does to you yeah so yes. that's sort of a theme that carries on through my books I think okay and for you personally um, having recognized in yourself that you were probably clinically depressed at the time. Yes. Was that a revelation for you that you had actually, how had you, I, how it had was. you got yourself out of it? Yes. Or whether you were still in it and needed to process it or? I, it was, I mean, I, I could see how lonely I was. And I, I, I mean, I, I sort of felt sorry for that person. I didn't really feel that it was me because it wasn't me anymore. But mm-hmm. it does make you understand that you go through these things in your life and you don't really realize how hard they are until you look back and realize, oh my goodness, that was really hard. How did you do how it? Did how did I cope? Yeah, how did you survive? But I think that 
the fact that I'd lived in Sweden and I had come through that, I think that probably helped me. Mm. And also I did love my husband very much. I did want to be there and I had actually chosen to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody had forced me into marriage. And I also wanted to leave Finland very badly. So I, it, it didn't, it, it, yeah, it didn't really, to be honest, as a writer, I just went, oh yes, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> We are vampires. <laughs> Don't forget, we suck the life out of everybody we know and our own lives. <laughs> Just to get their emotions yes, down exactly. on paper. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yes, yes. And you've got an, another book coming out in June yes. this year, yes. uh, which will be your 16th book or? Uh, 15th uh, fiction title and 18th book. So I've got three non fiction titles, so okay. it's 16th. Um, and this one is actually the last in the series. Okay. Well, I say that, but that's what happened with the other series, and then I wrote another one. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Um, yes, it, it it will be the last in the series, and it's uh, so it's a conclusion to a sort of a a story about quite a nasty Russian. <laughs> so it was quite <laughs> apt. Uh, but uh, yeah. So uh, yes, he's a he's a yeah. So it's he's he's. I'm not going to say anymore. No, okay. I don't want to You've got to keep your fans, <laughs> yeah. you know, the anticipation. <laughs> yes, indeed. But it will be the last book. Okay. Yes. Um, so, Russia obviously had a big impact on Finland. Yes. And on you personally as well, at some point in your life. Yeah, well, it yes, it did because when I was I was growing up in Finland in the 1970s, and Russia was very much. Uh, a presence or Soviet Union. We weren't even allowed to call Russians Russians. We had to call them Soviets and we had to call Russia Soviet Union. But everybody knew that we did that in order to, you know, keep ourselves safe and not not to anger the, the, the large bear next to us. So, you know, we, we, we sort of all had this kind of um, feeling that what the politicians were doing was the right thing, mm -hmm. that they were keeping us safe and keeping us independent. And it sort of filtered down to a child in a classroom. Yeah. So that's I, I find that quite interesting. And in fact, I've <laughs> written a book about that too. God, it sounds terrible. <laughs> I've used everything. Um, uh, so I've I've written a spy novel. Mm -hmm. It's not really a thriller. It's a sort of a uh, you know low grade thriller if you like. But it, it is it is about spies and uh, it's about this 17 year old girl who who. Um, gets sort of involved in, in a spy scandal with the submarine. And um, it's quite a, I, I really loved writing that actually, because it was it was a sort of quite fast paced novel, but, mm -hmm. but I did base that on what life was like. It's, it's, it's set in 1979. Yes. And it's called The Red King of Helsinki. And it, it is very much based on my experiences from school. Mm -hmm. um, though I never had a, friend who was a diplomat's daughter who went missing <laughs> and my, my mother never dated a British spy. No, not that I'm aware of, no. Called the, they used to call him the Admiral apparently. Anyway, so yeah, so my, my mum did actually date somebody who was English and who we called the Admiral, but he wasn't an Admiral and he had nothing to do with spying. I hope. <laughs> anyway, what are you? I don't know. But yeah, so you know, so um, I've used everything in my life. It's terrible. But I did love writing that. In fact, I've sort of I've got a sequel in mind, but it's just a question of uh, getting round to it. But yeah, yeah. Okay. I loved writing that book. It's yes. really good fun. Yes, and very different to your other books. Yes, as well, indeed. So. In fact, that was my second. I wrote that as my second book. I wrote okay. Coffee and Vodka first, and then 
uh, they were in Helsinki. I was sort of trying to find my genre, I think. Yes. And then I wrote The English Heart, which then I published first. And uh, that was very successful. So I sort of then went with the more romantic genre. Um, okay. But, uh, so that was why, because the, the whole idea of your books being noir romance, because of what you'd written, the three books that you've written, and then yes, I guess The Englishman was yes. the first one, and yes. realised it was popular. Yes. Is that what really pushed you down? I the think so, yes. Route? And also, but, but they're not actually they're not traditional romances because mm -hmm. they are quite they're quite serious I mean you know I said about my depression and and in the faithful heart which is the sequel to the English heart yes um, it does show how incredibly lonely and desperate Kaiser is so and that you know is there a, is there a happy ever after whereas in most romance books you never talk about the happy ever after no you know it, that's it yes. It's, yes oh you're happy but actually there is a whole life to be led and whole life happens after the happy ever after so um, I wanted to really get to grips with that so I don't think at that point I was thinking about too much of the market but yes. um, it was really finding this diary that sort of spurred me on and I was still working full-time at the time so I wasn't really writing that often um, but finding this diary I thought oh you know this is actually something that I should use yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah as a vampire <laughs> so writing sorry um working full-time so you were working for the bbc as a as a journalist and that's a translator. The, that's how i started yes that's how i started working life in the uk i was a um i was a monitor they called them and uh, i i um worked in the finnish and swedish team and i listened to radio uh, to finnish and swedish radio and also radio moscow in finnish and swedish Okay. And we had in that building, it was in Caversham actually, they've sold the building now, but it was an old school. Um, and in that building they also had the FBIS, which is the FBI service, so they had the sort of like a news bureau of FBI there, so we had to report to them. And in fact I was there when Chernobyl happened, so... Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes, there's only three of us, so we all worked on our own. Yes. And first of all, the Swedes thought that um, there was uh, that one of their nuclear power stations was leaking because they noticed radiation in the air okay. or increased levels. And then they said, well, actually, it's coming from the east. And then Finns said, yes, actually, yes, we've noticed it too. And it is also coming from the east. And that if you've watched the series on Chernobyl, there is a point where it comes out mm -hmm. into the public domain in the west because of this monitor has ah, reported it. That okay. was me. That was you. Aha! <laughs> fame! I know, I know, fame at last. Um, yeah, so it was a very interesting job. I loved it. And um, of course now, you know, perestroika happened and uh, yep. so there's no, no more need. So I left the BBC and then I went and worked uh, with my husband um, in his business for many years after that. And okay. then, so yeah, that was like a try spell in my <laughs> creativity. <laughs> But the whole, I mean, this, the whole Chernobyl thing is actually, I mean, how relevant is that now? Absolutely. At this precise yes. moment with, between what's happening in, in Ukraine. And, yes. And this, this uh, feeling of anxiety and fear of, of being taken over. Yes, uh, yes. It, it must be in incredible, especially you've got Russian-speaking Ukrainians and Ukrainian-speaking Ukrainians, as I understand it. As, yes. Uh, and, and this mixture of language. And did you have the same in, 
in Finland where you had yes. Russian-speaking Finns? Well, we, we didn't have that many Russian-speaking Finns at the time because, um, because of course, uh, Soviet Union had annexed Karelia, where there are more, more people who were in mixed, mixed heritage, if you like. Yes. So there weren't very many Russian-speaking Finns when I was growing up. There, were, there was a 10% population of Swedish speakers who came over from Sweden when Finland belonged to Sweden in the 1700s, I think, um, quite a few hundred years, a couple of hundred years. And they, are, especially nowadays, can be discriminated against. But I was reading in the Finnish paper, going back to Ukraine and Russia, that there are quite a few people now on the eastern border who are Russians, because quite a lot of Russians have come over since Perestroika and since everything has opened up. Yes. Um, and bought properties in eastern Finland. And there's been a lot of talk about this, it's dangerous and, you know. And um, which now one sees why that discussion was there. And there are also Ukrainians. Yeah. And they were concerned about schools where they would have Ukrainians and Russians together. And they, you know, the Ministry of Education have sent a, sent a guidance to the schools and, and teachers how they are to deal with this. And have also set up this sort of mental health helpline. You see, this is a civilized country, my country. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have money and they do these things, which is nice. Um, so there is a, you know, there is a worry that there are going to be not exactly clashes, uh, you know, with, with arms, but between children, that children are going to um, clash at school and, yeah. and so they're trying to prevent it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so it is, yeah, it's a worrying situation. Mm, mm -hmm. Of course, Finland f feels very vulnerable because we're not part of NATO. So um, I've had friends contacting me saying I was in tears. Uh, what's happening? Um, yeah. Finland are constantly saying that you know they are um, supporting Ukraine. They're now sending weapons. Right. Um, so I we mean, are starting to annoy the bear, I think. Uh, <laughs> but in the, in I mean, up until this point, has Finland felt concern about Russia being on its you know so close? Yes, or always. It's always never. It never. Feels. Even though you feel independent. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no. It never leaves. It, it's always there because we have a vast border with Russia. Mm -hmm. um, they are, you know, they're a superpower. We are a tiny, tiny country. There's only five million people living in Finland. You know, it, it doesn't take a math mathematician to work out that we don't, we don't, we can't defend ourselves. Yeah. Um, but we do do a lot of um, military exercises with NATO. There is an argument that we should join. Mm -hmm. um, and I think NATO would, would uh, well have indicated that we can, you know, it's just a question of saying yes. Um, but we don't want to really do it without Sweden. That's the point in that uh, Finland, Sweden have to join together. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think there is talk about it now. So, um, in fact, I signed a petition uh, that Finland should join NATO because mm -hmm. I do think that that's the only way we can we can actually be safe and that's the reason we joined EU really yeah um, because of the security aspect so but uh, yeah it's a crazy world what can you I, you know the, the threat has always been there it's sure. never gone away yeah 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 um, but on the other side on the on the west side you ha you have Sweden who you Finland considers like sorry yeah the west side yes yeah 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 <laughs> yes um, that Finland considers almost like your big brother, almost. Yes. And is also well, a very annoy annoying big brother. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways, you're a bit like the um, 
the filling between the sandwich. Yes, absolutely. That's the problem. Yes. So, um, yeah, indeed. So we, I, I did say, actually, the analogy is quite interesting because I just said to my husband yesterday that we, we're just a little crisp, you know, we're a little snack <laughs> that, uh, that Russia could have. You know, it's like, oh, OK. Oh, well, I was as well have that one too. Um, so, yeah, so it, but I mean, then you look back in 1939 and Finns did give them, give, give the Russians a blood nose. You know, we, it's a very similar situation to Ukraine in the sense that we're very nationalistic and we will fight. I think everybody will fight. Yeah. So, yes. but it just, I mean, what a pointless exercise. So we'll just lose a lot of lives and, and what will be at the end result will be that Russia will overtake Finland anyway. So, but yes, it's a, oh God, it's a, I don't believe it'll happen because Finland wasn't part of the Soviet Union and Finland is, is, is highly developed society, yeah. highly educated, yes. democratic, very, very, I think it's the lowest level of corruption in the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that, that um, I think the economist had this theory that Russia will not annex a country that they consider to be a high level of development of society because then the Russians will say, why can't we have that? Mm. You know, why is Finland, it's just part of Russia, but it's so much more developed and you have the healthcare is better and the and, uh, education levels are better. And yes. But I don't know, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult situation. Definitely. And for you yourself, as a, a staunch Finlander, are you? Yes. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to be ginger, ginger, what's the word? Ginger, ginger, jingoistic. Um, um, but of course it's difficult, yes. But yeah, I... Do you ever have a sense that you would like to go back? Oh, all Finland the time. And, oh yeah, and, and to live there. Yes, especially through the COVID, uh, COVID pandemic, because yeah. Finland did so well and because they had prepared. Because of the war, I think, Finland has prepared for every eventuality. And so they had prepared for a pandemic. And in fact, I was there in February 2020. And we were, we were watching a, a, a um, press conference with, the, with three ministers. Um, and then there was um, three other experts and a journalist. And the journalist asked questions. And everybody, nobody had a, even though they were, these politicians were from different parties, because there's coalition governments in Finland always. Yes. Um, everybody was explaining, nobody was making political points, you know, they were all trying to explain to the population what was going to happen. They had they had different levels of plans if it's going to get this far, if it's going to be that many people ill, if it's going to be that many people ill, we're going to do X, Y, Z. They had a plan, you know, and yeah. then I came to the UK and, uh, and Boris Johnson was uh, kissing babies and, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I thought, where's the plan? <laughs> yes, where's the plan? And I, you know, you, you cannot be stupid. I know you're not stupid, but why don't you take this seriously? You know, it yeah. just doesn't doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. let's not go into there because <laughs> I'll never stop talking. <laughs> but in in Finland, where is your when you do go back? Do you have a go-to place that you love to visit and that you should that you would recommend? And I've never been to Finland. I'd love to go. Well, you have to go to the lakes in eastern Finland. Okay. Um, uh, there are more la there's more la water than lake than, than land. It's the lakes are tiny. Uh, there's a lake system called Saima, which actually you can take a canal to Russia on that if you want to, um, and it's beautiful. I yes. went there. My sister uh, has a cottage there, and um, recently, and yes. uh, so I went there last year, and it's sort of off the grid. You know, you there's no running water, there's no loo, and the kids said, 
I would last 24 hours. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. They called it uh, uh, Mum's Bear Grylls uh, Finnish Adventure. But <laughs> <laughs> they're very, very cruel, my children. Um, uh, did you uh, surprise yourself, though, that you loved it as much as you did? I did, yes, because no, I hate camping and I'm, I'm, you know, I quite like hotels rather than sleeping on the ground. But it was lovely. It was just so... When I came home, I started using so much less water, and uh, and it's it's a very finished thing to do. In the summer, you spend two three months in the in very very basic conditions in the country. But we had yeah. a lake. We swam in the lake two three times a day. We had a sauna, well sauna, and we went there every you know had a sauna every night. Yes. And so we had hot water from the sauna. It was just oh, just yeah, it was bliss. But it's, it's also a very Swedish thing, isn't it, to have it your summer is, house yes. in the in the yes, but the Swedes they they they're soft, you know. <laughs> they, they don't they they as in Finn, we Finns say that the Swedes um, a they haven't had a war in hundreds of years. Yes. Um, so they don't know anything <laughs> about war. And two, I'm going to be terrible now. Any Swedish people uh, listening, I'm sorry. Um, the second thing is they eat white bread, not rye bread which may seem much stronger and they drink milk and not beer anyway <laughs> <laughs> but that's a very, oh, very old-fashioned finish uh, <laughs> terrible thing to say about the swedes but yeah as i said they're very annoying older brother um <laughs> but yeah it's um yes but they have like really tiny little cottages with lovely gardens and things whereas in finland we sort of go off the grid, we go basic, you know. Yes, yeah. Outdoor labs, yeah. It's yeah. The only thing I know about Finland is that you've got this chocolate-looking cheese that tastes extraordinary. No, no, that's Brown. Norway. Is that Norway? Yes. So well, I had a Finnish friend who came back from Helsinki with this cheese that he said was from from Finland. So, so that no, I think that's Norway. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, oh well. Okay. <laughs> I can't uh, contradict. <laughs> I no, yeah, it's Norwegian. But anyway. Okay. So what are the foods in Finland that you miss the most when you're here? Well, rye bread is one thing. I really do miss proper rye bread. I tried to make it during um, uh, lockdown. I did, you know, sort of. But it's incredibly difficult because rye bread has absolutely no gluten. So it's like having mud cakes, you okay. know, so it goes it's everywhere. Solid. It's yeah. really, really difficult to do. Um, and uh, herring, I love herring. Yes. I love fish in general. Yes. Um, so I miss proper Finnish herring, which is quite a sweet to put a lot of sugar in it because they're soft, you know, milk <laughs> and white bread. <laughs> I'm terrible. I hope my Swedish friend doesn't listen to I this. I know, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. It's all in She's the, probably laughing. It's all funny, yeah. um, it's all jokes. Um, but anyway, so it's quite a lot sweeter, whereas in Finland we have really sour tastes. So we, our, our herring, marinated herring, is, uh, is incredibly, it's just spicy rather than... And it, I, I do miss that sort of really basic, uh, because, you know, you can get herring all sorts of, you have mustard in it, you yeah. can even have avocado herring. Yeah, it, it's, I miss that. You miss that. Yeah, yeah. I can't get that anywhere. <laughs> I thought, oh, yes, I right, I fantastic know, yes. view of Alexander Palace. Yes, so we've been walking around Priory Park, which is where I run. Okay. I hate running, Do but you? it's the only thing, I absolutely hate it. <laughs> but it's the only thing that sort of gives you that exercise that you can just do whenever, so you don't have to book it and you just... Yes. leave the house and go for a run so that's why I do it, do it but does it inspire you though do you get it ideas? does yes I yeah. do it's really weird yeah. yeah it's incredible and you 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 get an answer to something that you don't even realize you've been you know plot I know something something you haven't even 
known that is a problem mm -hmm. and then you get the solution yeah. when you run. So yes, yes it's very good. Yeah. But I love it because you do get always a different kind of view of the Alexander Palace. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, I have uh, never seen it from this angle. It looks you? massive from here, doesn't it? it? Well, it is massive, oh, isn't yes, it? It is. Yeah. It's really, really huge. Do you know where the farmer's market is now? It's just oh, below yes. Alexander Palace in yes. that Ali Pali Park. So I quite often run there too. Yeah, I just like this park because it, you can run different ways and there's another little bit to it. And so I run about 4K mm. and I'm sort of working my way towards five. So. Oh, well done. Shall we go this yeah. way? I mean, it's still fairly bleak, but some of the some of the blossoms coming out now the pear blossom is normally the first blossom out isn't it yes and there's crocuses look yes so it is lovely place it, it, that's the one thing actually i love the looking at the trees coming to bloom and then the colors in the autumn and yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. it's a really nice place because that's something else as a growing up in finland it, it's very much a change of landscape compared to the british landscape yes and yes. is that something that you miss in Finland or that you love in Britain or vice versa? Well, when I'm in Finland, particularly this time of the year when it's spring and it's not quite yet, the snow hasn't quite left the ground and it's, it's brown everywhere. Whereas in the UK, it's green, it's lovely. It, I, I do miss that. And when I come back and we fly over UK countryside before we come to London, you think, oh, it's nice and green everywhere. <laughs> that, I, do, I do like that. Yeah. Um, of course, I miss the lakes. Mm -hmm. um, where I grew up in Tampere, we are between two vast lakes. Yes. So it's almost as if I grew up by the sea. So I do miss the sea. In fact, I first moved to this country, we lived in Portsmouth. So I do, I do miss the sea mm -hmm. or the lakes. And I also, but when I then go, for instance, we go to the lake district quite a bit because my husband's other office in, is in Penrith, so when he goes to, to uh, meetings, which last two or three, you know, two three meetings yes. uh, in, in row, I tend to go with him and then we take a, a weekend break up there. And it is lovely, it's just mountainous, and Finland is not very mountainous, but it's the same kind of rugged lake sort of landscape. Yes, yeah. And lots of pine trees, so I do feel very much at home there. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I do miss it, but it's... You know, I've lived here most of my life. My children are here. My grandchild is here. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's, it's very strange because I feel foreign when I'm here. Not so much anymore, but little. And then when I'm in Finland, I feel foreign. So, you know, I often said that my, my best place is actually on the plane between the two. <laughs> That's where I'm happiest <laughs> because you know, I'm nowhere. Yeah. yeah so yeah. rootless. Rootless. <laughs> yes. It's it's just. I think everybody who's done the same as I have will have the similar kind of experience because it's. Yeah. It's it's you, you do as I said. You do sort of become a different person. Yeah. And then yeah. when you go back, you can see that you're not the same anymore, and and the country isn't the same anymore. I mean, goodness sake, it's changed dramatically. And we had Nokia, for instance, in Finland, where it became the biggest company in, in Europe yeah. and you know who would have dreamt that when I was yeah. in my teens growing up. Yes. So, um, so does that mean that when you travel you adapt very easily to where you're going to? Yes, <laughs> that's a very good question, very astute. Um, we, we, at the moment we're actually planning to move away from London, oh, whether we okay. will or not I don't know because <laughs> I'm so, I love London so much but it's um, that's not a place to retire to but um, 
and whenever we go anywhere, we always think, oh yes, let's settle here. So we, can, so I think, yes, I think, but the, and I, I think my husband is the same actually. I suppose all the years in the navy, but the kids think it's hilarious because, um, yeah, we we come back from somewhere. We're thinking of buying there. We go, oh God, not again. <laughs> Where this time, you know? So that's so that it's. It's interesting, well, it's obviously a good thing that it's the same for your husband, that you both feel the sort of, that your roots could go anywhere, really. Yes, and that's yes. A, I, think, I think in some ways it's a, it's a great skill, or not skill, but something that... Attitude, yes. Yeah, a great attitude. It's something yes. that doesn't come to many people, a no, lot of people. No, no, and I, I think, I mean, actually out of the two of us, He's the one who wants to move back to Finland more than I do, and he's learning Finnish. I mean, he's, he? he's okay. always learning a little Finnish, but he's, he's yes. sort of learned. Because we would really love to move back there, but I just, I worry that it's a bit too late, you know. Um, I just worry that we will, and he will be isolated, because I know what it's like moving countries, and he doesn't. Yes. And so I worry that he will become very isolated yeah. with the... But the language is very, very difficult, yeah. and even if you know it, it, you know it's incredibly difficult to speak it, even though uh, you can probably understand most things. And because it's such a um, well-educated and and um, sort of a how shall I say, not bureaucratic country, but you do have to, you know you have to follow the rules in whatever you do. Yes. You know, in the UK, all you have to say is, uh, I don't think that's fair, and then they go, oh, okay, then don't do that. <laughs> you know, I mean that's because it's. And I always thought that was strange, but I actually found out that it's in the constitution that fairness is one of the pillars of this society. Anyway, okay. so it's a good thing to use. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think that's fair. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> in Finland, they go, well, Too you bad, should have yeah. read the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that kind of thing would really, yeah. I, I don't think. I think he would find it difficult to. He would be isolated. Yeah. I think yeah. try his best. I know he would because he really does want to do it. But um, I worry that uh, that it, it will be. I think if we were 10, even 10 years younger, I think that would be a different matter. But I think yeah. we're getting to the stage now where we are thinking about pensions and also the fact that UK is no longer in the EU. Yes. makes everything so much more difficult. Yes, um, yes. But I don't know, you never know. Next year I might be talking to you and I might be talking to you from Helsinki. So you don't know, do you? <laughs> yeah, I will definitely come over if you're there. <laughs> oh, definitely, you must. It's, uh, I do love Helsinki. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a uh, town or a city where I studied, and so I have lots of friends there. So I do, I do love the place, and uh, yeah. It's and your your um, children, did they grow up learning Finnish? Um, well, I did speak to my son. Um, there's quite a lot, three and a half years between them. Um, but when my daughter came along, my son started translating, and so I was working full time, and it became very difficult to carry on. But my daughter went to Finland for her gap year, mm -hmm. so she learned Finnish then. Right. And my son can, you know, he can talk Finnish, and they're both Finnish citizens, and, and so is the, my granddaughter. So, right. And we have Finnish Christmas, we have Finnish Easter. Okay. You know, we celebrate Finnish sort of traditions, and um, I try to say now, because Finnish Christmas is on Christmas Eve, I try to say that, isn't that a bit too much? They all go, no, you know, all these years you made us, now you want to stop it. So, yeah, so we, yeah, we, so they do know very much that they're Finnish. It's, it's a sort of a thing that I was quite determined yes. about. Yeah. 
th that they know that they're half Finnish. Yeah. And I even speak Finnish to my granddaughter occasionally when we're just the two of us. Okay. We speak Finnish. Uh, she's four now, and. Uh, and she understands? She understands, yes. Her, her other grandmother is, is Venezuelan and speaks Spanish to her, so ah. she lives in Spain. So, you know, she's become, she's going to be wow, that's very brainy. All that, all well, those the more languages, languages you can have these days, I oh, think. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, if I say something, this is, this or, this is what it's called in Finnish, she says, oh, and in, in Spanish is this. So she understands now that there are, they are different languages. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. she's, uh, it's, it's very important to me. You're, you're an, an ambassador for the, the Nordic yes, ambassador yes. for the um, for Alliance of Independent Authors. Yes, yes. yes. Um, but you were also involved with the um, I've forgotten the name of it now, the Scandic group. I ran a Finnish charity called Finguild. Okay. I did that for two years. Um, we had a travel agency and. We we also had Finnish schools, so there are there are Saturday. They're not proper schools, but Saturday yeah. schools where yes. you can learn Finnish Oops. all around the country and Ireland and 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 Scotland. I ran that for two years, and that was very rewarding. It was lovely to learn Finnish again in a way, okay. because Finnish was the language of the office. Yes. So I'd speak Finnish, and you know there was there's also a Finnish um, side. So that in Finland there is a Finnish. English society okay and um, it all started because in the 80s in fact the 70s I think they found that the, the flights the Finns who were living in the UK the flights were so expensive to Finland so and they noticed that we were actually coming from Finland to the UK but nobody was traveling back because the mm. tourism really to Lapland or anything wasn't going then and so they noticed the planes were going back empty Okay. So this, this couple of women said, what, what if we bought those seats from Finnair cheaply mm. and got you know, our expats on them? And that's how it started. So okay. you had to be a, a member of the association in order to get the cheap flights. And of course, Ryanair happened in yes. the 90s. Yeah. And that all, in the 80s, they were huge because Nokia was here and lots of people were working in the, in the UK. Yes. Um, but then Ryanair happened and that sort of and all the other cheap flights, so then that sort of stopped it. Yeah, Finlay yeah. couldn't uh, compete compete really. with that. Yeah. So, yeah. and of course, they were then taking people to to Finland as well because the tourism increased. So, sure. Um, but it was still it was sort of aligned to the church as well quite a bit, mm -hmm. um, the Finnish church in London. Yes. Um, so we were it was a charity with the, with this. As I said, we then started organising trips both from. Finland to UK and UK to Finland yeah and so the travel agents sort of financed the operation yeah and yeah. then we had some membership as well but it, yeah it was it was a very rewarding job but I again I couldn't write so I gave it up really to become a full-time writer because it was uh, difficult to to produce as much and by that stage I'd written four books okay five actually five yes I'd written the good part as well which is the third in the Nordic Card series. And so as the Nordic ambassador for the Alliance of, of Independent, Independent Authors, Authors um, as the Nordic ambassador you're actually representing all Nordic countries. Yes. Uh, how does that work when you've well, got such a strong a, affinity for Finland? I have to say really I, I get inquiries from people who want to publish their books in Swedish and, and or Norwegian yes. and, and about the whole of the independent scene there which I'm afraid is not very big at the moment is it so not? No. no so um, I haven't got an awful lot to do at the moment <laughs> but uh, I've been to Helsinki a couple of times to the uh, 
to the book fair and uh, you know and I'm sort of trying to trying to uh, promote indie authors and and their work but it's it is rather difficult because the problem is that in Finland book pricing is um, regulated okay and so it's the same Nordic countries in general so and people do tend to read an awful lot of paperbacks or then they go straight to audio so oh, they, they sort okay. of the ebook has sort of almost somehow needed. bypassed them yeah interesting yeah, so there is a there is it is growing the indie indie uh, scene but really very very slowly and the trouble is that most people go to these um, places where they pay for the for the production um, I'm just trying to think of the name BDBOD our company that's a German company that is both in the Nordic countries and and I think they're trying to do it here too so they basically take money from you grand and then you get to publish your book which you know I think is daylight robbery but you know um, some people find that easier because then they don't have to deal with any of the marketing or the printing or anything like that but, yes uh, yes and also amazon which crucially amazon doesn't sell books in the nordic countries oh, it so not. that's okay. yeah. actually the the biggest um if they did then i think i think their self-publishing would absolutely rise because um you know that's 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 crucial i mean that's how it started here with okay. the kindle yeah yeah yes so suddenly there was an opportunity to reach your readers directly, whereas before there wasn't. So I think, unfortunately, they're still in that space. And also in the shops, online shops, if you want to buy a self-published book, you have to go to a different page for self-published books. Well, that's never going to take off because if they're sort of relegated to a second division, you're not going to... Yeah. That just doesn't work. So yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I, you know, I've got an awful lot of, awful lot to do. But I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the situation all the time. And obviously, if because uh, Amazon has now gone into the Nordic countries, but it still doesn't sell books. So I don't quite know why not. I think there's some kind of a, I think it's to do with the regulation of the price of books. And okay. Yeah. 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 Yes. There is a yeah. So at the moment you are actually today is the last day in your for your um, promotion, your 99 P promotion. Yes, yes. So unfortunately, when this podcast comes out, the promotion will have finished. But yes. uh, has it been a successful promotion? Yes, I, because it's my first series, and I'm so sort of uh, marketing that the other series a lot. I've suddenly realised that I'm actually not doing anything for the other ones. So I decided that for the month of February, which is uh, the month of love yeah i would promote um those books and put them out all of them yes. 99p and it has been it always is you know it, it, people love free and people love 99p so yes it's a good way it doesn't make you very much money but it increases the visibility of exactly. the series and 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 awareness know. of other books that you've yes written exactly as well. so it sort of increases sales uh, the follow-on sales yeah yeah yes. um and yeah. it certainly works when you do have quite a few books out already yes rather than just one or two absolutely yes indeed I mean that's why I'm racing to to get lots of books out now because at some point I might retire <laughs> so I want to then be in a situation where I have quite a lot of products out there and then I can perhaps bring out a book a year or you know rather than three or four so yes so your aim is to try and get three or four books out a yeah, year yeah that's such a high demand. I mean, demanding on yourself. Yes, and I challenging know. for you. I know, I know. But I've I've uh, learned that if I don't put a gun to my head, nothing <laughs> happens. <laughs> so, so you, how do you go about 
incentivizing yourself, if that's the right word. Well, I write every day, apart from weekends. I used to write weekends as well, so I write every day, even if that writing yes. means that I look at the manuscript and I, I uh, think about the plot and, you know, perhaps I just write 500 words. Yes. But I do have to write every day, so, or edit. You know, if I'm in the editing phase, then that writing is editing. Of course. I always think I'm going to take a couple of weeks off when I finish a book, but I never do. I just push a next book and pre-order and there we go again. <laughs> so, yeah. It's so do your books start with a title? Uh, they have lately, yes. Okay. Yes, they have lately, though it's difficult to say because it's almost like a chicken neck situation. So I would never imagine writing a title for a story that I don't know the plot for, at least, you know, sort of like large, you know, large yeah. in, in certain points and know how it ends and and uh, know what happens in general. Yes. But on the other hand, I would never, um, I would find it difficult, which I did when I first started writing, to write a book if I didn't know what it was going to be called or even what the, what, 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 um, what, what, what yes, um, yeah. so, or cover. I, you okay. know, it's all sort of, now it's become so sort of intertwined. And of course, when you are writing a series, it's much easier because you know the characters, you know the setting. Yes. You know everybody's backstories. Um, and in general, I do know the plot because I know the whole, the whole of the series, I've, I've known where it was going to go. Yes. Because the whole series is about, really, about two characters, which is Alicia, who's lived in London for 20 years and then decided that she wanted to, after she lost her son, who was 17, in a motorcycle accident, she, her marriage breaks up and she goes and uh, goes back and live on this island where she, where she was um, brought up yes. uh, with her mother and her mother and her stepfather. And, uh, and then she meets this Swedish, very good-looking Swedish reporter and, and has this passionate affair with him. But really, her marriage was never really properly um, dissolved because the death of, of her son had only, or their son, Liam is, is her husband, um, had only happened six months previously. So they hadn't really had well, a chance so, to yeah. fix everything and yes. sort it all out. So, but I think this often happens when you lose a child, particularly, is that you, your relationship can't cope or you know yeah um, sort of stalls yeah, yeah. stalls exactly yeah. good word and so it's really about this love triangle but then there are of course other people that come in and as I said there are this there's this nasty Russian who's who's sort of causing havoc in the background and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and do you have days where you just have a blank you can't you just look at oh, the page. Oh yes, many. And how do you deal with those? Well, I think his Hemingway thing is very good. And he's just whatever he said, or whether it was he who said it, that uh, what you have to do is apply your seat of your pants to your seat of your chair. Yes. And so you just have to sit down and you just have to open the document and you just have to either look at it and think, oh, I'm going to do that. You have to do something. And, yes. and if really I can't, as I said, I quite often come into a cafe here in the centre of Crouch End and and work somewhere else. Because I find quite often that if I remove myself from my office or go for a run or you know, what, whatever it takes, but I, I have almost a 
compulsion about doing something or at least looking at the manuscript every day because of course if you don't you forget what it's all about you forget yeah. what you've written if you forget your the thread of your thought you, you just lose all that thinking that you've done about the manuscript yes if you even leave it for a week it's a job it's my job yeah I'm yeah, a yeah. writer so I have to do it and yeah. I've got this gun to my head anyway <laughs> so I have to do it but if I didn't have that I don't think that I would um, I would look at my manuscript every day I do sometimes wonder actually my sister often asks me why do you do it and I'm thinking I don't know I, I wish I knew I, I just because I'd actually yeah I, I don't quite see what else I would do I just don't feel like I have a job yeah yeah, yeah. I get quite stressed <laughs> But I don't, I really don't feel that it's something that, you know, somebody's making me do. Yes, yeah. But and it's I think a that's, deadline, you have yeah, to. Yeah, and I think that's probably something to do with the, having been forced to move countries as a child. And they're not forced, but you know, it was the only option. Yeah. Dave was in the Navy, there's no way he could have moved to Finland. Okay. He couldn't really have a career. He's literally just started his career in the Navy. Yes. So uh, there was no way, no chance that he could move. Yeah. So the only option was that I would move. Yes. yes. So um, I think that lack of control in for the rest of my life is quite nice to take control now. Yeah. yeah I yes. think that's probably behind it as yes. well. I mean, is it like a psychoanalysis? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's quite interesting because also there is this feeling sometimes that because you're a writer and you're at home, you're writing. A lot of people view that like a hobby, and they don't see that as a profession, and they have to prove to them that you're being professional about it. Yes, yes. They, they, it's almost like you're confirming to them that it's just a hobby and yes. it's changing that mindset in It yourself. is, and I think that is very important because you wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't have produced all these books had I not had it in my head that this is a job yes. and this is my business. Yeah, yeah. Though when I'm actually sitting down and writing, I don't think that it's my business. I mm -hmm. think that I need to uh, write the best book that I possibly can at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, so really I don't, important. it sounds like as if I'm sort of churning out books to a template or something, and I wish I could, yeah. because actually I think my Achilles heel is that I don't. Mm. The, the, the last book, or the one before last, because I had to write another book because of this little, um, how shall I say, stubbornness about what I write, I want to write what I write rather than constantly considering markets so yes. I made quite a drastic I'm not going to tell you what it is but the last book is very dramatic okay and being that it's a romance series probably not the way to end a romance <laughs> series being very dramatic so I had to write another book which was 20 years later okay. so I could write a nice happy ending for my character but that book came about when I was in Oros in, in Oro in Sweden a ski resort okay and I had suddenly had this idea of, no, in fact, sorry, I've been to Ore and I went to see my Finnish friend in Helsinki. Yes. And we were talking about old times, we went to university together. And we were talking about these two guys who were sort of like, you know, old flames, as it were. Nothing ever happened, yeah. but it really was sort of, you know, some kind of interest there. And so we were talking about them and stupidly, we had a little bit of wine, I think. So we went on Facebook and, you know, anyway, so that sort of played in my mind. And I was thinking, well, what if, what if my character would meet one of these old flames oh. in a different setting, a very romantic sort of um, ski resort in Sweden? And their life had been completely removed. Yeah. 
And what if they'd had a date? So they'd had a really disastrous date once, which I never did. So I, I then wrote this quite a romantic book for her to give her a happy ending. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's sort of, it that was almost, yeah, so because some people wrote to me saying, what, 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 what did you do? I'm like, oh, how can that be? I've cried so much. And I was thinking, oh, this is not really what I should have been doing. <laughs> so then I, and also for myself, I could leave her as it was, you know. Yes. Even though she was happy at the end, but not that in a traditional way. Okay. Interesting. Well, you've got, you've got us all intrigued, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we've walked back to Crouch End. We're standing back at the clock here. And Helena, we've had such a wonderful conversation. It's been fantastic. I and mean, there's so much more I could ask you. But is there anything that you would like to ask me or feel that I should have asked you that I haven't? Do you know, I think we've been through everything. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we've... I think we've won, I, I, can't quite see how we talked about so much. I know. So, no, I think I, I'm more spent than say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast show. So thank you so much. Thank for you. Taking for me, me for a little walk down memory lane as well around Crouch End. Um, if people want to contact you, where's the best place to, to find you? I think the best place is my website, mm -hmm. which is helenahalme.com. So it's Helena. Halme.com. So that's H E L E N A H A L M E dot com. com. Okay, that's and it. you're also on Instagram. I'm on Instagram Facebook. everywhere. You're so everywhere. everywhere is Helena Halme uh, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. That's it, I think. Perfect. But basically, go to your website and you'll find yes, everything. Yes, indeed. You all the links are there. there and yeah. all sorts, so. Absolutely. So, yeah. if anybody wants to catch up with Helena, that's the place to find her. And I'll put all the information in the show notes, too. To all our podcast listeners out there, I hope you have enjoyed our podcast chat and you've been inspired to perhaps to write your first book. If you have enjoyed, please do share with your friends. Please do subscribe to the Travelling Through podcast. That would be fantastic. And if you have a moment, it would be great if you could review or give the podcast a rating. That helps the podcast to go further and all my lovely guests to be heard in a wider context. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll be back again next week. But for now, take care and thanks for listening.